welcome to Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints, where your viewpoint matters. Donnell discusses today's major issues and concerns with nationally recognized expert guests, as well as a variety of other interesting topics. So call and express your viewpoint about this week's topic or whatever else may be of concern to you. Just call Donnell at 563-999-3660 to share your viewpoint. Now, with this week's guest, here is your viewpoint host, Donnell Edwards. Good evening and welcome to Donnell Edwards Viewpoints. We're glad to have you here this evening. Hope you had a wonderful day today. As uh, uh, you are experiencing some experiencing some uh, relief from the heat, as we are here in this area, I know you're glad for that. We have an outstanding program for you this evening. Uh, it's a very special program, and we're going to provide information for students and parents about learning disabilities. Our theme is how to overcome learning disabilities and achieve extraordinary success. Our special guest uh, fits that description. He is a therapist, consultant, professional speaker, and author, and he had to overcome his own bouts with uh, learning disabilities during a part of his life. And so please join me in welcoming to Donnell Edwards Viewpoints, our special guest for tonight, Mr. Ronnie Sidney. Hello, Ronnie. Hey, hello, everyone. Um, definitely thank you, Donnell, for inviting me on your show to talk about this very important issue. You are very welcome, and thank you so much for coming. Uh, we have lots to share tonight, and we want to warn everyone, we're going to try to get through this in uh, the allotted time, but we may extend the program tonight because uh, it is a very special program. We also want to encourage you to call in. I have noticed that there's a reluctance on some people's part to call in for whatever reason because uh, they they want to remain anonymous. They don't want to give their name. So I want to put you in relief. We would prefer that you give us your name, either your first or last name and your location, but you don't have to give your name. The important thing is we want to hear from you. We want your questions so that uh, Mr. Sidney can address those. We want to hear your comments. Uh, we want you to be involved with us so we can uh, really make this uh, enjoyable and informative for everyone. So please uh, give us your call. We will be accepting calls later on in the show. You might want to write the number down right now. That number is 563-999-3660. That's 563-999-3660. So, Ronnie, uh, first of all, to get started, uh, please tell our audience who you are, uh, about your early background and, and, and experience. Yes, I am um, currently I'm an outpatient therapist. Um, I was licensed last year um, as a licensed clinical social worker in Virginia. Um, I currently work as a clinical specialist for a crisis stabilization home for adults with intellectual disabilities and mental health disorders. I'm also an author. Uh, my first book, Nelson BCIs, was about my experience being in special education, and I follow up um, that book with two other two other comic books. Um, also, professional speaking, which is something that I started doing before um, I wrote my first book. But since I've been able to, you know, publish, you know, multiple books, I've been able to 
you know, get more speaking engagements. So I've also added that to my list of many <laughs> job responsibilities. Okay. Um, I'm also a father. Um, I have three girls, and my youngest is eight months. The oldest is 10, and I have one in the middle who's six. I'm also wow. a husband. Um, yeah, my plate is pretty, pretty full. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's definitely a blessing to have, you know, um, the ability and opportunity to share my experience because it was something that was, really embarrassed about growing up and it wasn't until I actually graduated high school that you know I had the courage to actually talk about it. Okay, very good. And uh we want to commend you too because with all of the things that you you all the responsibilities you have to be able to give back in, in such a positive way that's that's just wonderful and we thank you for that. Now uh will you discuss uh what your childhood w- was like? What some of your specific struggles in life and school were before you were diagnosed with a learning disability and before anyone really knew uh, what was going on with you? I would say I had a lot of teacher conflict, um, you know, for the behavior, which I would probably describe as hyperactive behaviors. And just, you know, really, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm always, I am a very sociable person in the school that oftentimes caused a lot of, um, you know, behavioral problems because I was, you know, disruptive towards the classroom. So, you know, a lot of, um, you know, being sent in the corner, sent outside the classroom, teachers, you know, calling my parents, sending those home. So, you know, that created a very frustrating experience, you know, for me growing up. And, you know, early on, um, you know, I always felt like I was different. Like I always felt like sometimes I was being targeted. And, you know, I think that sort of led uh, the behaviors, you know, is what I think led to, um, teachers wanted to get me evaluated for ADHD, and I also always had really poor handwriting, and um, I struggled with executive functioning. I really struggled with, um, you know, keeping my note, keeping my uh, book bag organized, keeping my folders organized, trying to remember you know, homework. Um, I was a very disorganized, you know, child growing up, and that also caused a lot of, um, you know, conflict in school, um, and also conflict with my parents. Okay, all right. Uh, that sounds very familiar to me. I'll explain why later. Now, uh, you, you mentioned that as far as your personality, you're uh, an outgoing person, easy to get along with, like people. So how did all of this uh, affect your personality, or did it, as well as your, your self-esteem and, and your intellectual development? I, I've always looked at myself as, you know, being fairly intelligent, but, you know, being placed in special education or, you know, being evaluated or diagnosed or having that label, it does make you a lot, it makes you more self-conscious of how, you know, you're perceived by other people. And, you know, the the one thing I try not to do my whole life is allow other people's perception to paint or define who I was. So, you know, that was, that was a really hard task because, you know, I was constantly being judged whether it's through grades or through effort and, you know, being a struggling student, you can work hard and, you know, get a C or or a B. And, you know, a lot of times we don't really, you know, give a lot of merit to C's and and B's, but for some students, you know, it's it's difficult for them to, you know, achieve that A because, you know, that A is mastery. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so for me, even when I worked hard, you know, I could never really achieve the grades that, I felt like really um, adequately 
uh, you know, I, f- I feel like the grades didn't adequately reflect, you know, in terms of my effort. So, you know, for me, it, it, it was it was challenging and frustrating, and you know, I lost a lot of interest in school, and you know, it became somewhere to go to socialize instead of somewhere to go to actually learn. Okay, all right. Now, now you mentioned that uh, as a result of some of the teacher conflicts that you were having, uh, you feel like you got targeted or maybe you were labeled. So when you would go from one class to another, the teachers would would already have talked to each other and know that here's that kid that's a troublemaker or something like that. So uh, how did all of this, as well as having multiple learning disabilities, affect your relationship with your teachers and your classmates? I had a, I mean, my special education teacher, uh, Ruth Toby, she was amazing. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, my special education teachers. The social stigma of going to a special education class, it really impacted me because I didn't want anyone knowing that I was in special education class. So, you know, I would ask to go to class early or ask to go to class late. You know, I would not, I wouldn't tell my friends where I was going. So it became a game of like cat and mouse, you know, where I had to okay. just, you know, this part of me private, um, you know, because I didn't want to get, you know, teased and joked on. And so the social side of it was, 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 was pretty big. Um, in terms of my classmates, a lot of them, no one, even my best friends didn't know that I was in special education or, you know, had a learning. They, they knew my handwriting was bad. They knew my organizational skills were bad. They knew I was hyperactive. They knew that I didn't get good grades, but no one ever, you know, thought that I was in a special education class. So I did a really good job, you know, hiding that, you know, part of my life. And later on when I started actually wearing my glasses, a lot of people thought that I was smart, you know, opposed to, <laughs> you know, having a disability. So, you know, having the astigmatism, uh, which impacted me seeing, you know, from far away, I think that was a huge barrier too because I didn't want to, wear my glasses because of the, you know, the social pressure of, you know, people calling people nerds. Like Steve Urkel was, was like the, the most popular, <laughs> you know, nerd growing up. So nobody wanted to be compared to him. So, you know, for me, a lot of my life was really spent just trying not to be teased and not to be joked on. Um, so the self-esteem was, a, was something that, you know, I looked highly upon myself, but I felt like other people didn't really see that in me, except for, you know, my special education teacher, my parents, and a handful of other teachers. Okay. Now, you, you mentioned your parents earlier, and that with all the things that were going on and with them having to be called to the school and some of the, the stuff that was, was happening with you, that uh, there were some, some conflicts at, at home, too. So what concerns and reactions did your parents have to all of this? And were were they in, in denial that there there was anything wrong with you? I I won't say my mom my mother was uh, she and I won't even say denial. Um, my mother she she was the one who always affirmed me. Like my dad was kind of like the stoic, you know, tough, you know, not really showing his cards right. type person. My mom she showed all her cards, but she was very transparent. And you know she, you know she would tell me when I got older, you know she like she the school was out to get money, like they put all the black boys in special education, you know they were out there, you know to try to get money for the kids who they put in special ed, and she was very resistant on them, you know placing on medication. She took a stand against that. Uh, my father, 
he he thought that special education could help me um, because he knew the challenges that I had in school, and he was also a minister and a police officer. So he was, you know, he really well respected in the community, and he he trusted the school's judgment. And you know, for a while, special education worked out. But as I got older, I became more aware, you know, of being in special education, and you know, it became more stigmatizing for me. So that's when. You know, I, I began to, you know, somewhat resent my parents because I felt like it was their, you know, idea to put me in special education, or at least they are the ones who, you know, signed signed those papers. Um, it wasn't until I got older, you know, and had my own kids and finished school that I looked back, and, you know, and realized that, you know, they did what they thought was in their best interest. Um, and, you know, I, I remained in special education until, you know, I made the decision, you know, to, to get out of it. Okay. Okay. Very good. We're going to continue this discussion and talk some more about about this later. But right now, we're going to take a break. If you just tuned in, this is Daniel Edwards' viewpoints, and we're discussing how to overcome learning disabilities and achieve extraordinary success with our guest, therapist, and consultant, Mr. Ronnie Sidney. If you have a question, we want to encourage you again. Uh, don't don't worry about you know if you're afraid about re- revealing your identity or whatever. Don't worry about that. If you have a question or comment, please call us because we do want to hear from you. Your viewpoint matters. Our number is five six three nine 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 three six six zero, and you can call right now. That number again is five six three nine nine nine. 3660. We would love to hear from you and hear your viewpoint. And when we return, uh, we're going to talk some more about uh, how special education uh, affected Mr. Sidney. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Hey, if you have really, really tried to lose weight going from one diet to the next, stop right now and listen to me. Let Jen Hand help you. Jen is a food coach and body image expert in her new show, Nutrition Tips with Jen Hand, the effortlessly easy path to weight loss, is now on the CWR Talk Network. Jen's aim is to dispel all the myths related to dieting, debunk food rules, and bring enjoyment and sanity back to eating. You shouldn't feel guilty about eating the things you enjoy. Jen has lived through the battle of dieting and binging herself for 13 years and has tried every diet plan, every program, and every solution that promised weight loss. Hypnosis, diet pills, cleanses, detoxes, you name it, Jen's tried it. It wasn't until she looked at what was underneath the food that she saw any lasting healing. Now Jen teaches others the truth about dieting and how to enjoy eating normally. Listen to Jen's podcast, Nutrition Tips with Jen Han, the effortlessly easy path to weight loss, 
on the CWR Talk Network online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash CWR Talk Radio. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash CWR Talk Radio and search for Jen Hand or go directly to Jen's podcast on our website CWRTalkNetwork.com and select Jen's page from the menu bar. Listen and imagine. It takes five seconds to send a text, and for those five seconds, you're driving blind. Life is worth more than a text. Stay alive. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. American College of Financial Services invites you to join us for our annual conference of African-American financial professionals. Join us in Washington, D.C. at the Marriott Marquis, August 6th through the 8th, as more than 500 African-American professionals from across the country come together to talk about practice management, networking, and the growing wealth gap in the African-American community. Some of our keynote speakers include John Rogers from Aerial Investments, Dr. Pamela Jolly, and former State Senator Nina Turner. For more information, go to theamericancollege.edu. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Welcome back to Donnell Edwards Viewpoints with your host, Donnell Edwards, on the CWR Talk Network. This is Donnell Edwards Viewpoints, and we're discussing how to overcome learning disabilities and achieve extraordinary success with our guest, Mr. Ronnie Sidney. Now, Ronnie, before we, we left, we had uh, talked about this a little bit, but uh, you were placed in special education classes, as you mentioned, and which was customary at, at that time and still is uh, far too often for students who have learning disabilities that go undiagnosed and untreated. So uh, could you elaborate a little further on how that affected you and, and your thinking and, and your actions and your conduct? Yes. It, um, I, for me, I felt like if I worked hard enough, then I could get out of special education. So, you know, being in special education, it was sort of that that indicator that, you know, the school doesn't believe that I'm capable of, you know, learning and, um, they've put me in this, you know, this class of kids who I felt like, you know, I could outperform academically. 
Um, so it was really a motivation to work hard to get out of it. And, you know, when I went to high school, I felt like, you know, I had worked hard enough to, to get out of special education. But what I found was that when I went to high school, um, you know, I wanted to take the general education class. In fact, I was actually signing up for the more advanced general education classes. And I wanted to get on that track, you know, for kids who, you know, had ambition of going to college. And uh, when I got to high school, that actually changed my schedule. Uh, once I got there, and they not only put me back in special education, but they put me into the self-contained special education, which is the most restrictive self-special education to where you're, you know, confined to one room for a majority of the day. And, you know, it was at that point to where, you know, I, I went public with my parents because I never talked about how I felt, you know, about being in special education until that day. And, you know, I came home and my dad told me that, you know, I was crying and I included that part in the book because I was so angry and so frustrated, you know, that the school was, you know, continuing to prevent me from, you know, aspiring to be the person who I wanted to be. And, you know, it was at that point where I really felt like special education was limiting my options. And, you know, it was almost that place where they would send kids who they didn't expect to, you know, go anywhere or to do anything. And, you know, I I didn't want that to be my future. So I told my dad I I no longer wanted to be in there. And, you know, I I remained in special education um, up through the ninth grade. And it was 10th grade when I, you know, when I got out and I didn't have to go to the classes anymore. And, you know, I felt a sense of, like, liberation. But the thing about it is that your reputation always precedes you. So, you know, even though I was out of special education, I still had conflicts with my general ed teachers, and I still had those low teacher expectations. Okay, okay. Now, uh, when and uh, about what age and grade level were you when you were diagnosed with your your learning disabilities? I was in the um, third grade. So third grade is when, you know, they began testing me and, and, you know, going through that process. Um, In fifth fifth grade, I remember the process being very formal, and I remember sitting down with a special education teacher, which I didn't know who the teacher was at the time because I was transitioning from the elementary school to the middle school. But I just remember sitting down and taking a battery of tests and um, I remember the ink blot test, you know, really clearly from like, what in the world is this? So I knew there was something weird going on. I couldn't put my finger on it because I didn't really have the words. I didn't have the experience to really, you know, know and understand. In fact, I didn't, you know, know much about my special education experience until I went to college. I was at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. And um, our research professor gave us an option of, you know, something to look up. So I decided to look up, you know, um, the individuals um, with the IDEA Act. So I was looking up, you know, special education um, policy and reviewing that. And I actually went back to my middle school, well, I'm sorry, my former school district and retrieved my special education records. And it wasn't until then that I knew what my actual diagnosis was, which was learning disabled. And, you know, it was almost like a flashback, like I felt destigmatized all over again, you know, to have and carry that label um, and not really know I wasn't educated on, you know, while I was in special education, no specific diagnosis. Um, you know, it, I really felt like the system back then was really poor. Um, I, I didn't really, really feel like they empowered the students to want to do better or want more. Um, 
And I really didn't feel like they really gave students that ability to self-determine. And, you know, for me, being able to determine my schedule and being able to, you know, challenge myself academically was something that I always wanted the ability to do, even at a young age. Um, and, and I felt like that power was, you know, taken away from me. Okay. Now, uh, could you tell us what specific learning disabilities uh, that you had and explain how they, they, they affect people? Yes. Um, well, dysgraphia, which is something I didn't even know anything about until I was actually 30 years old. I had um, worked with this company called Understood, and um, you can actually visit their website, understood.org, and they had reached out to me because they heard about my story. And um, they came down and interviewed me and my parents um, about two years ago for a story. And, you know, when I went to their website to see the video, it said, you know, something about dysgraphia. And I'm, I'm here, I am on a computer, you know, 30-plus years old, thinking I know everything about special education. And I'm looking up this term dysgraphia, and I'm like, wow, this is me. But there was no language in my IEP in school that even described it. described the symptoms, but they didn't have the word, you know, for it. So dysgraphia is a, is a learning disability that specifically impacts your writing. So it can impact how you form your letters. Um, sometimes it can even impact um, the way a pencil feels in your hand. So it's like specifically, you know, related to handwriting. Um, also, attention uh, deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD um, is a diagnosis that impacts um, your ability to control um, impulsive behaviors, your ability to focus, um, some, having an inability to be easily distracted. Um, it affects your executive functioning in terms of like being able to organize your, you know, your notebook, organ, organize your work, remembering um, certain things. Um, being hyperactive, and I, I heard the term bouncing off the walls a lot when I was a kid. So, um, you know, maybe a student who has a hard time sitting still, not fidgeting, um, keeping their hands to themselves, um, uh, it may take them, uh, it may be a challenge for them to, to be engaged in sort of the traditional instruction of sort of sitting and listening. Um, you know, they may talk to their friends a lot. So, those are some different challenges that I had. You know, in school and executive functioning, which is not necessarily, it could be independent, but it's also could be related to the ADHD, which is really the ability of a person to sort of govern like day-to-day routine. So, you know, for me, getting up, remembering to go brush my teeth, you know, get my clothes out, uh, iron my clothes. So sometimes multiple directions confuse me. Um, you know, sometimes I will forget a step. Uh, you know, even as an adult, I still struggle with executive functioning. So a kid with executive functioning issues also may struggle with homework. They may not write down, you know, the homework assignments. They may try to remember and they may get confused. So it's really um, those kids who really have a hard time being structured and organized and remembering, you know, routines. Okay. So that that was an awful lot to uh, have to deal with and uh, understandably anyone who had to deal with all those things would would have to struggle now after you were were diagnosed uh, what kind of help did you get from the school after that I was uh, placed in a resource class so I would go to this classroom um, once a day 
and the teacher would help me, um, you know, with the executive function. And so she, I had a, um, like an organizer, like a planner that I would go over with her each, each day. And, um, the teachers would write down my homework and my parents would sign it. And, you know, I'd have to review it with her. Um, she also, you know, helped me with, you know, the handwriting and helped me with any homework that was like outstanding from the previous classes. So it was a, a more of a support, um, you know, situation. And, you know, to be honest with you, even though I didn't like going to the class because of the stigmatization, it was probably the most comforting place in the school for me because, you know, that was the only time during the day I really felt like I had a teacher that understood me and a teacher who, you know, could relate to me and a teacher who was really encouraging and sort of saw um, the positive attributes that, you know, I saw in myself and that my parents, you know, saw in me. Okay. Now, was was this resource class, was it a, it a part of the uh, general classroom setting or was it still a part of the uh, special education? Yeah, it was a part of special education. So, you know, okay. now they have um, more of inclusive services, but back then they didn't have the inclusive services, so they didn't have the teachers sat in the classroom with you. Back then you had to go to a separate classroom. And typically, you know, the classrooms was kind of never, it's not really the the best-looking place, and sometimes it wasn't in the best location. Uh, so, you know, for me, everyone knew if you went in that classroom that you had a, you know, learning disability or something was wrong with you or you were handicapped. And, um, you know, for me, that was pretty stigmatizing. So, okay. Um, okay. So you, you were still set aside separate from everyone else and made to feel like you were less than, than, than the other students. So, uh, now I mentioned earlier that, that I could relate to all that you were talking about, and uh, my son was diagnosed with uh, attention deficit disorder when he was in the second grade. Uh, we had no idea what that was. Uh, that was a long time ago uh, before, you know, you came along with your experience. This was back in the early 90s. And uh, it, it was a battle. And as a parent, I can tell you it was, it's really frustrating. And uh, it, it's really sad to just feel so helpless that there's not anything that you can do to keep your child that's struggling like that. And kind of like you mentioned, when you came to your parents and were crying, there were times my son would just tell me he didn't know what was wrong. You know, he, he knew he could do it, but he just couldn't get it done. And then we went through the bouts with, you know, the, on the medication, off the medication, because some of that medicine was so powerful, uh, we had to have him tested every month because uh, they they said one of the side effects is prolonged use could affect his liver, and uh, then there was the problems with the schools because at first we didn't know anything about our legal rights, and then when we did, you know, I was an advocate advocate for my child. I was going to determine that he got the resources and and all the things that he was uh, guaranteed under the law, and and the school resisted even with all of the. Uh, um, evidence that we had from therapists and, and others uh, stating his condition. So I can relate. Uh, I know, and that's one of the reasons this program is so personal and so important to me. I want to make sure that all of the parents who are listening know what their rights are, know the kind of help that they can get for their children, and understand that there is help 
and if their children are having problems in school and they don't understand that uh, not necessarily that they are uh, that they do have learning disabilities, but that's something that may need to be looked at. So uh, we thank you for sharing your experience. Uh, we have another guest on our, our other line we're going to talk to when we come back. And right now we're going to take a break. Uh, we, are, we are listening to Donnell Edwards' viewpoints, and we're discussing how to overcome learning disabilities and achieve extraordinary success with the author of the powerful book for Young adults, Nelson Beats the Odds, Mr. Ronnie Sidney. Uh, your viewpoint matters, so call us right now and check in with your viewpoint about learning disabilities. Our number is 563-999-3660. That number again is 563-999-3660. So call now with your question or comment. And as I mentioned, we're going to take this break and we return. We're going to talk with our special guest who has some information about the support and services available to parents and students with disabilities and your legal rights under the law. So please stay tuned uh, for that when we come back, when we return from uh, this break. Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. The CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. We are the champion for life empowerment programs like Career Reels with Carolyn. We understand that many of our listeners need career advice to advance their careers to the next level, and others need advice on finding a job. We have been blessed with the addition of Ms. Carolyn Owens to our network. Carolyn is the chairwoman and CEO of Infinity Coaching Incorporated, which provides career, leadership, and life coaching that moves individuals forward, allowing them to take command of their lives. With over 25 years of proven experience, she is a leading authority on leadership and professional development and has worked with and trained top leaders across the globe. Her show, Career Reels with Carolyn, may be heard the second Monday of every month at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 6 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Career Reels is a show that discusses how you can become the star of your life. Carolyn and her guests will share with you tips and strategies on how you can reach and stay at the top of your game. You'll also hear about hot topics and trends that can make a difference in your career or business. So tune in the second Monday of each month to hear Career Reels live and get hired or take your career to the next level. For more information, visit Carolyn's page on our website at cwrtalknetwork.com. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me, whatever it is, you'll live. 
Learn more at StopTechStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. American College of Financial Services invites you to join us for our annual conference of African-American financial professionals. Join us in Washington, D.C. at the Marriott Marquis, August 6th through the 8th, as more than 500 African-American professionals from across the country come together to talk about practice management, networking, and the growing wealth gap in the African-American community. Some of our keynote speakers include John Rogers from Aerial Investments, Dr. Pamela Jolly, and former State Senator Nina Turner. For more information, go to theamericancollege.edu. Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Welcome back to Donnell Edwards Viewpoints with your host, Donnell Edwards, on the CWR Talk Network. Thank you for joining us for tonight's discussion on how to overcome learning disabilities and achieve extraordinary success. As we mentioned before we went to break, uh, we have a, another special guest with us this evening. Uh, parents also have rights, as we mentioned, under the law, especially the individuals with education, uh, Individual with Disabilities Education Act, known as uh, uh, IDEA, the acronym for that, and also uh, Section 504 and other laws. Now, we are blessed tonight to have with us uh, someone who is a mother to a child with autism and learning disabilities, who knows and understands the uh, uh, different uh, experiences that parents go through who are in these circumstances. She's also a- an expert on learning disabilities and ADHD. Uh, she uh, uh, is a homeschool special needs and education consultant, and she is a special needs teacher and distance learning professor. Uh, she is also involved with understood.com as a disabilities expert. She is a member of the board board of directors of uh, Learning Disabilities Association of America and president of the Learning Disabilities Association of South Carolina and the owner of Able Learning Academics. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Annalisa Smith. Welcome, Dr. Smith. How are you doing tonight, Danelle? Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, as I I mentioned, we know, but the audience doesn't know, but thank you for joining us on such short notice. Uh, What I really wanted to talk about uh, before we uh, finish the last segment, I was uh, sharing my personal experience with uh, the the school system. And not to say that all schools are like that, but there are some who 
are not familiar with how to deal with students with learning disabilities. Um, a lot of the teachers and counselors have not received training, so it's not all their fault. But from an administrative standpoint, that's what gets me upset. It's when there are uh, processes and laws that are in place to help parents and students and the schools uh, choose to ignore those deliberately. So what I wanted to talk about is uh, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and Section 504. Can you explain to our listening audience what those are and what services and support and assistance they provide for students with learning disabilities and for their parents? Well, sure. Um, a lot of times I will say that when a child has a diagnosis or when a parent first finds out, they don't, and it's not just parents, it may be the school, um, I don't want to say training the parent, giving the parent the proper information. Um, a lot of times parents don't understand the difference between an IEP and a 504. So those fall under two different laws. Um, IEPs are individualized education plans or education programs, and those fall under IDEA. And IDEA serves 13 um, categories of disabilities. Um, learning disabilities is one of those, and there's definitions on how that's defined. Um, and then for ADHD, there's also, there's a lot of times a caveat. Um, a student may have ADHD but may not qualify for an IEP. So that's something that's an issue sometimes um, to get parents to understand. Um, a child that, if a child has a diagnosis of ADHD and also has learning deficits in an academic area or it affects their their learning academically, then they can qualify for an IEP under the category of OHI, which is Other Health Impaired, under IDEA. So it's very important to look at how those characteristics are defined under IDEA um, to see if your child qualifies for an IEP. So IDEA is a federal law, and then 504 is a civil rights law. So they fall under two different um, types of laws and legislation. Basically, the IEP is um, federal legislation that is a, it's a plan that is specialized to the child's learning needs and gives accommodations and or modifications to what the child needs to be able to access the educational um, content. A 504 is the same thing, but it does not have as many protections under it necessarily. So for an IEP, um, where they're both meant to meet the the unique learning needs. Um, the IEP will meet the unique learning needs where the 504 plan is more about changing the learning environment to help beat the learning needs of the student. Um, both of them are free to the parent. Um, the biggest thing is understanding that the IEP falls under IDEA and that the 504 plan falls under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And like I said, one is um, federal special ed law, and then the 504 plan falls under um, civil rights law, which is more of a discrimination law, if that makes sense. So both of them do provide accommodations um, for the students, but um, there's more requirements for eligibility to qualify for an IEP than there is for a 504. Um, 
some students that I've worked with on a 504 um, are students that may have like, like I've had a student that has epilepsy before that has a 504 plan because the the characteristics of that disability affected their learning, but it did not affect it in such a manner that they required an IEP. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So for a 504 plan, there's only two requirements for them to qualify. One is that they have to be they have to have a diagnosis. Um, which can include many different types of learning and attention issues. Um, the second one was that the disability that the child is diagnosed with has to interfere with how they learn in the um, general education environment. Um, it has a much broader definition of disability than IDA. So IDA is very specific in how they define each of those 13 disabilities, where the um, 504 plan has a much broader range of how they define and who qualifies so okay. um okay uh another question i wanted to ask uh the the guest that i have tonight mr ronnie sydney was just explaining before we went to break mm -hmm. the, the stigmatism that uh affected him from being in special education and it, it really got bad when he got in high school and and uh, I, I was sharing about my son. Uh, it, it was my understanding, and, and like I said, this was back in the early 90s, and things may have changed since then, but the therapist that we had, it, it was our understanding that uh, my son would do better in the general classroom environment instead of going into special education if he could do the work there. And uh, as is true with him, as is with many of the the students that have learning disabilities, especially ADD and ADHD, uh, a lot of those students are very intelligent. They just can't focus. They they have problems with attention. And so when treated with medication or with therapy, a lot of times they're able to function well. So my, my question is this. It was my understanding that part of the IDA was to provide uh, in-classroom resource teachers to help students so that they could keep up with the class. Uh, is that, that a part of the program? Well, the, the, the main part of IDA is that the, for any child with an IEP, um, that it's done to the individual learning needs. So okay. um, if, and I will say, there are kids that I, that I have worked with and over the years, um, that's why we have a, a a variation of placement options available. Um, parents need to understand that there's not just one placement option available to them, if that makes sense, for their child. Okay. Um, okay. I've worked in self-contained. I was listening to Ronnie talk about when he was in self-contained and when he was in resource. I've taught both of those and um, consulted with children and parents that are in them. The main thing to understand is that um, – there ultimately you want your children as much as possible in the regular education environment um, that is the best place for them to be with peers that are their age um, and if they can handle the work or there are appropriate accommodations in place or modifications for learning that the child can be successful in that environment um, what you were talking about with the stigmatism the stigmatism <laughs> The stigmatization of, I'm sorry, um, it's, I've been trying to log in, so it's been a long night. 
um, of when a child is diagnosed, I will say, it, and that that a lot of that depends on the child um, and how the parent reacts when the child is diagnosed, and that has a lot to do with the how, how the child progresses in whatever placement they're in as well, if that makes sense. So a large part of that is when a child gets diagnosed, the while the child's you have to realize that the child's dealing with their own issues of feeling. Um, incompetent in learning. They've had a lot of learning failures. They don't know why. They know they try their best, and um, their best isn't good enough. It doesn't work a lot of times. Um, and then you have the parent component on the other side of that, where the parent feels guilt and um, stress, and there's anxiety that they didn't realize that their child had this. Um, did they push them too much? Um, there's parents that, you know, punish their children sometimes because they don't think they're trying hard enough, and then they find out, like, oh, my gosh, my child had dyslexia. And, um, so there's a guilt process there, and there's a coping mechanism with it, too. So while the parent's going through these actions, the child goes through it, too. Um, I've met students that deal very well with the diagnosis, um, and then there are students, I will tell you, like my son, when he was in fourth grade, and he was finally told that there was you know, oh, we, you know, the psychologist sent the report, and she said, you have this, this, and this. And when I told him, he was very relieved because his exact wording at the time, and I'll never forget standing in my, in my den, he made the comment to me that I'm not stupid. There's a name for it. And so it was a relief to him that there was a name for what he was experiencing. It wasn't right. – it was a part of who he was, but a lot of – um molding as he's grown up to his character and his personality development as he's grown into adulthood has been developing the persona that this is a part of who you are but it does not define who you are and it's just a it's just a label that's given to you like you're brown-headed or blonde or you're um whatever ethnicity or you're male or female it's just it does not define who you are as a character or as a person so he learned to accept that part of him as part of who he is and to, to, I guess, learning how to define the strengths and what is good about his, even though it's diagnosed as a disability, if that makes sense, the positive aspects of it, that he's an out-of-the-box thinker, that he has novel approaches to things, um, that he doesn't always take the path most traveled. He never takes the path most traveled. Um, so, I mean, and, you know, in learning to recognize his talents and his attributes, a lot of that has been about how he has accepted himself. And when you work with students to do that, learning what they can focus on that they're good at so that they can rise above and overcome things is really important, more so than the environment sometimes that they're placed in because the environment um, – becomes what they make of it sometimes now that depends on the child too if that makes sense um okay. but for a parent i will say it is important to recognize that you have a variety of options um it, there's even like there's in, there's full inclusion there's partialized inclusion there's mainstream with resource support um we have students that i teach that i work with that are itinerant um, which is the way we classify them for their iep um, for some students, that means that they still have accommodations and they still have an IEP, and, you know, they check in with their 
with their case manager who's called their resource teacher or whatever, even though they don't have an assigned class. So they don't even have a period where they go to special ed anymore because they've gotten to a place where they can compensate and really work on their own, knowing how to apply the accommodations. And part of that's training them and how to do that. Um, one of the things that Ronnie was talking about a few minutes ago was that he didn't realize, and I may, I don't know, is he, is he still on the air with us? He is, he is. Okay, so I, I may have misunderstood this. One of the things I think that you said was that you didn't realize what your disability label, you didn't even know why you were in there or why you were in resource or in those special education classes until you were older and got to go back and read your records. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so one of the things that a lot of, and I will say this, if, you are, if you're a parent of a student with a learning disability or a learning and attention issue um, that is identified right now, particularly maybe not so much in elementary school, but particularly when they're older and they're getting ready to transition out of high school into college or a work setting, it's very important for them to know why they're there. Um, a lot of students, you know, are in 11th and 12th grade. They're getting ready to leave high school and they don't even know that they have a learning disability. They just know that they come to this class. And when you ask them why they're there, they will tell you things like, well, I have trouble paying attention. And that is the reason that they're there, but they're, the bigger reason is that there's a name for it. And as the student gets older, by teaching them what they have, when they get to college or in the workplace, in the workplace they can learn to um, – identify what their unique situation is to a professor or to a to the college disability office to work with getting the accommodations that they need to be successful in that as they transition to a different academic setting. So it's important for not only parents but educators to work with those students to get them to understand that you have a 504 or that you have an IEP and what this documentation represents and what you're going to have in the next setting or what you won't have access to unless you know how to ask for it and like working with those students to tell them, you know, this is what you have and this is, these are the characteristics of it. And, and just because like Ronnie was talking about, he has dysgraphia. Um, my son has Asperger's and he has multiple learning disabilities. He's diagnosed across the gamut. He has dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, and, um, I mean, he's just, he has the whole smattering of it. But just because there's a diagnosis in front of him or a, a definition does not mean that all of those symptomologies affect him in the same way. So it's real important to work with our children personally as parents to be familiar with that these are the characteristics of this disability, but this is how it affects my child, if that makes sense. So that when the student gets to a different learning place or even in high school, or even earlier than that, if the child's capable of it, that they can say, you know, I have dyslexia and it affects my learning like this and I need this from you. So a lot of times that's a very positive effect for them that they learn how to advocate and speak for themselves. Um, it gives them an empowerment over it where they know that they're in charge and that the dyslexia or the learning disability or the ADHD is not what is in charge of them, if that makes sense. Okay. Very excellent points, uh, Dr. Smith, and I uh, appreciate you bringing those out, uh, that good advice for 
for parents and students. Now, uh, you're involved with a lot of different organizations. So for those parents listening who don't have any idea of where to start to try to get help for their children, uh, would you say that some of the diff different organizations that are uh, out there, uh, the, the local chapters would, would be a good starting place like you with understood.com and I think Learning Disabilities Association of America and there are some other ones mm -hmm. like, like CHAD and ADD. Uh, so uh, could you tell parents about some of the organizations you're involved in and some of the ones you recommend that might help them if they need some advice on where to begin to start to try to find help for their child? Well, you mentioned understood. Understood is listed on understood.org. Um, don't go to .com because that's a totally different website. Um, <laughs> but um, understood.org does have um, uh, it, it has a a multitude of information sources available to parents. It's all free online, and um, parents can go to that website to find out information. And there are discussion boards where they can talk about issues or feelings and um, fears they may have, um, things that are coming up at the school with other parents, you know, related to different age groups and things like that. Um, LDA of America has been around for a number of years. We are one of the first grassroots organizations um, in the United States to focus solely on learning disabilities and not just on one aspect of it, but on all aspects of it. Um, we do have memberships. Um, available and there's information on our website and we also have chapters or affiliates in um, most states um, for the states that don't um, we have individuals that are willing to talk to you or point you in the right direction from the national office and that's ldaamerica.org and there's chapters listed available on the website as well um, you mentioned Chad um, Chad is a great resource for um, individuals with ADD and ADHD, and they have um, webinars pretty routinely that are, um, most of them are free and very informational for um, parents or individuals or educators that just might want some more information. Um, if you're going, um, to look at like disorder or disability specific organizations, IDA would be another one that's the International Dyslexia Association and Decoding Dyslexia um, also works in many states to um, focus on, like I said, it's, it's um, mostly disability specific to dyslexia. I would say if you're looking for something to get an overview of learning disabilities in general or information about ADHD, um, LDA has a really um, good selection of materials and reading and videos available online, and understood.org does as well. Okay, very good. Thank you so much, Dr. Baldwin, for being with us. And I also want to thank uh, one of your other members, uh, Miss Stephanie, who uh, at the very last minute was able to <laughs> help us make contact with you so that uh, we would be able to provide this information for our listeners tonight. And we thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. Now, All right. Thank you very back, much for your time. Okay. Thank you for your time. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. And uh, continuing with our uh, discussion now, uh, Ronnie, uh, 
when you were being diagnosed with with uh, your learning disabilities, uh, do you know if you and your family uh, took advantage of the Individual with Disabilities Education Act or Section 504, uh, or was the school supportive uh, in helping provide you with with uh, the support that you needed once they found out uh, about your learning disability? Yeah, I um I had an IEP. Uh, the the ones the records that I was able to retrieve, it showed that I had an IEP from uh, fifth grade through ninth grade, and okay. um, the IEP provided me with accommodations in terms of um, additional support and uh, like I said, with the planner organizing my homework, um, going to the resource class. They also recommended that I do um, majority of my homework in classwork on a computer. Uh, they also recommended that the teachers sort of move me around the classroom to find like an ideal location for me to uh, better uh, be attentive and um, engage in the activities. Um, and I think there were one or two more, but um, yeah, they had different, mostly accommodations for me inside of the classroom, uh, you know, in order to support me learning. Okay, that that all sounds so familiar. Now, as a former student who has uh, successfully struggled with and overcome to a uh, certain extent your learning disabilities, uh, and now as a parent and therapist, what recommendations do you have for parents to help them recognize what some of the warning signals are that their child may have a learning disability and needs to be tested? Uh, I would definitely say probably one of the best is really getting feedback, listening to the feedback from the teachers. Uh, you know, a lot of times there's that denial piece, especially with African-American families. I think that the stigmatization of special education is much more intense in African-American families. And I think because of that, a lot of families sort of reject the label or they feel like they're being blamed. And um, the kids miss out on, you know, one, early intervention services, and two, they miss out on all of the different um, accommodations that can be provided if their child is diagnosed with a learning disability. So, you know, I would say, you know, listen to the teachers and, you know, get evaluated. And now what I'm seeing is that it's harder for parents to get their kids the services, you know, opposing when I was in school, it was almost like you threw a lot of kids in special education, but now there's kids with disabilities who can't even get the special education services. So I would even encourage them to get, you know, um, a second opinion from a psychologist. Um, and if need be, you know, and, and it is expensive, um, you know, having a tutoring service or a program like Sylvan or one of the learning centers to provide that additional support. Um, you know, I, I think nowadays with the Internet and with so much information out here, parents can definitely be informed. Um, you know, and know, like, understood.org is a free, awesome resource. Um, and really just, you know, if, if they have any questions or concerns, I know I talked to one parent who her daughter had dyslexia, and her daughter knew about it because of a commercial that she's seen. So, you know, um, you know, just being informed and, you know, being attentive, you know, to your child. And, you know, if you recognize the signs and symptoms, do a little bit more research and, try to get evaluated, and if the school doesn't follow through, then, you know, get that second opinion outside of the school. Okay. Now, uh, we've been talking about your book, which is partly autobiographical and uh, 
kind of uh, reveal some of the, the experiences that you had uh, with your your learning disability uh, entitled Nelson Beast the, the Odds and it's part of a trilogy of books that you've written for young adults which also include uh, Tamika's New Dress and Rest in Peace Roshan. So can you tell us about Nelson Beast the Odds and what readers will, will get from that? Yeah, Nelson BCI, this is a 34-page uh, graphic novel or comic book that really details my experience in special education. Um, I start with Nelson is actually my middle name. So the character Nelson, he's um, in the fifth grade, and he, the book starts off with him having his desk moved around the classroom. So he starts with his desk in the front of the classroom, moved to the you know the back of the classroom, and eventually outside of the classroom. And in writing the book, you know, I spoke with my father, my mother, and, you know, I was able to, to remember some experiences that I have. So I include those experiences throughout the book just to sort of give a, a real um, look into, into the life of a kid with a learning disability. And, um, you know, with the book, I really I wrote it after I graduated from VCU, my master's in social work. And um, my special education teacher actually, you know, encouraged me to, to tell my story and I wanted to create a book that, you know, that told my story and also was entertaining because, you know, as an adult and looking up different, you know, disabilities, a lot of the books are more academic driven. And I wanted to write a book that kids would read and parents could read and teachers can read and one that, you know, could really give an idea of a child with a disability from a, you know, adult who had that. Uh, because when I was growing up, I didn't have any books or really see any examples of a child with a learning disability that I could, you know, relate to. So I almost wanted to write the book that, you know, I wish I had growing up. So, you know, when parents and kids read the book, especially, you know, Donnell, with you having that experience, you know, with your son, you see a lot of similarities. And I think when kids and parents are able to see that it's not just them going through this, it's not just me, you know, going through this, then they can sort of feel like that weight has been lifted from their shoulders and be able to, you know, come to terms with, you know, whatever, whatever I'm sorry, challenge they have and seek the resources and be able to, you know, move on with their life without carrying that stigma. Okay, very good. Now, uh, in addition to being an author, you're also uh, an entrepreneur and you develop an app. Now, what inspired you to develop the Nelson Beats the Odds comic creator app, and how was it used? Uh, I was actually, I was um, before my book came out, I, sp- I spoke at a, at a foster care uh, conference, and I didn't have my book out yet, but I had a, say, a table set up with sort of the prototype of the book. And a mom actually stopped by, and she had said, you know, I think you should put a, you know, a photo of Nelson's body in the book and then have a cutout where kids could add their face to Nelson's body and, you know, so they can feel like they beat the odds. And, you know, mm-hmm. one of the biggest motivations for my book is, is you know, even with the titles, I want kids to read it and know, you know, that they can beat the odds and overcome that, you know, adversity. And, you know, for me, you know, the idea of an app and the way, you know, that kids are, you know, society is more technologically driven. And, you know, a sidebar is that, you know, technology actually helped me succeed in college 
um, with the dysgraphia because I no longer had to write. I could type everything. So that was actually probably okay. one of the best technology tools, you know. But, you know, with the app, um, you know, kids have an opportunity to add their face. They can actually take a photo or selfie of themselves, pop their face out, and put their face on Nelson's body and add, like, some motivational uh, sayings, add, you know, emojis, add text. You know, because I feel like we need to foster that self-esteem piece with kids with disabilities. Cause a lot of times we focus on academics, which, you know, that is one of the main goals, you know, of schools. But I think we miss the self-esteem piece because I think they correlate, you know, kids who have, you know, learning disabilities oftentimes suffer from, you know, issues with self-esteem. So, you know, with the app is really a, a self-esteem enhancer um, and also included ways where kids can read Nelson BCI's and Tamika's new dress on the app for free. So they also, you also have access to those two books. Um, in addition to, you know, the, the, the photo piece, and you can even create a comic book, you know, with photos that you take and add, you know, word bubbles and really do some fun, creative, you know, things. Because for me, um, you know, creativity, art, you know, those are some things that really, you know, inspire me and really give me an, different way to show some of my talents and to really express myself and um, I provided this app which is a free app and if you have an iPhone or iPad or iPod you can you can download the app from iTunes but it's really just you know a way to like I said to help enhance the self-esteem piece and also give kids a different you know way to experience a book because I look at books as you know being really something that you know you have to introduce in a way that's, that's engaging. So, you know, it was important for me to include African-American characters on the cover of the book because I think it's important for kids to see African-American kids, um, you know, in order to have that representation. Um, you know, and with the app, you know, kids get that same representation, but they can also put themselves into the book. So it's a different way that you can engage, you know, in that process. Okay, very good. So uh, anybody that wants the app can get that. They can download that from iTunes, and it's Nelson Beats the Odds Comic Creator app. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, all right. Now, as, as far as the, the, the books, uh, uh, Nelson Beats the Odds and uh, Tamika's New Dress and Rest in Peace, Rashawn, uh, where are those available? You can order them actually on Amazon. Uh, you can order the ebook, the hardcover, or soft cover. So I have three different variations, you know, of the book. Um, I, also, I also have a compendium, which which you can which includes the first and second book if you want to just order them both together. Um, I I have two variations of Rest in Peace for Sean. I have um, Rest in Peace for Sean, the regular book, and I updated it to Rest in Peace for Sean Reloaded. So they're the same book except for Reloaded includes four additional pages um so you know you can definitely get those on amazon walmart.com because i am self-published it's challenging to get my books in the barnes and nobles and some of the big retailers but you know amazon has really been um very generous you know to me and give me opportunity to really you know launch my book on a international you know platform so you know for for entrepreneurs or you know prospective authors you know amazon has a wonderful self-publishing service and you know i always encourage kids you know who have challenges or kids with disabilities to tell their story because you know narratives are extremely powerful and a lot of times you know there are millions of kids out here diagnosed with 
various disabilities who don't see themselves represented in a positive way in books, movies, or, you know, popular culture. So I feel like the only way we can change that is to introduce those, you know, stories to, you know, to the world. And, you know, I've been blessed to have, you know, numerous opportunities to do interviews and, you know, to speak all across the country, you know, and share my story. And, you know, even tonight, Donna, you gave me the opportunity to do that. And, you know, it, the more I tell my story, the less hurt, you know, I feel, you know, when doing it. And I think a lot of times when people, you know, hold on to that, you know, that hurt and hold on to some of that guilt and resentment and bottle it up, you know, it does impact, you know, your your, your mental health and, your, you know, your physical health. And as people who are adults, you know, who have read my book and for the first time in life actually shared their own experience, you know, about being in special education. And there's always that sense of liberation, you know, we can share that experience and sort of feel that there's nothing wrong with you. I, I, the um, the guest that you had on just now, I think she was saying that, you know, a disability is a part of you. It doesn't necessarily define you. And sometimes it takes you a long time to get to that point in order to really accept that. But I think we can make that process easier with kids when we can sort of have these conversations now, you know, using books like Nelson B. Stars to, to talk about it. Okay, very good. Now, what final advice do you have for our listeners, especially young students who may be struggling in school and may have a learning disability and they're not aware of it, and for those who have been diagnosed and are working to overcome their disability? I would I, mean, I would definitely encourage, you know, kids to really, to you know, to really seek and find out what their purpose is in life. Um, you know, I, I feel like when you know when you can find that find that purpose, and you can find um, something that you're good at, that strength, it really gives you that extra motivation to to you know push through the difficult times. Um, you know, I, with me, I wanted to become um, a rapper or a rapper um, like a label owner, like Puff Daddy, and that mm-hmm. is something that actually drove me to want to go to college. And, you know, without that, without that, you know, that desire to become something, even though it was something I, I, I didn't, you know, seek it now. It's not, you know, something I, you know, sought once I got to college, but it got me to college and got me thinking about college. And I think we have to be creative and think outside the box and really find different ways to either put kids in situations where they can figure out what their strengths are or, you know, support them and sort of pour that positive positivity in them. Um, you know, because oftentimes you get told what you can't do so much, it becomes, you know, second nature and it becomes like this this broken record inside your head. But when you have people, you know, inspiring and empowering kids and telling them things that they can't do and really giving them opportunities to succeed and opportunities to see themselves in a positive, you know, light, it really sort of encourages them to, to get through those times. Um, you know, when I go to schools, I always ask kids, you know, um, you know, what are your strengths? And oftentimes with kids with disabilities, they have a really hard time identifying those. So if you can, you know, help a child identify their strengths and then put them in situations where they can, you know, realize them, you know, you really, you know, help motivate them to look beyond the struggles they're having in school right now on to, you know, life outside of school. Okay. Thank you so much, Ronnie, for being with us tonight and for sharing your experience 
and giving the the advice and encouragement and the wisdom from things that you went to. And uh, we, we really do appreciate that. You are an outstanding example of how to overcome learning disabilities and achieve extraordinary success. So thank you, sir. Thank you. You're very welcome. And uh, we want to say to any students who are listening tonight, uh, there are countless examples like Ronnie that you may not be aware of. There are professional athletes. There are people in business, business executives, uh, all kinds of people who have learning disabilities that have overcome them uh, to the extent that they can function and be effective and be successful uh, in, in life and, and in their careers. So because you have a learning disability, don't let that embarrass you or make you feel less than what you are. Uh, just like Ronnie said, you have power, you have strengths, and work on those. And parents, uh, love your children, embrace them, encourage them. They can achieve with our support. So uh, we thank you so much for joining us this evening. We welcome you back next week for another exciting program, and we'll continue our discussion with education, which is one of the uh, things that we are uh, um, make a priority here on our network. And our guest is going to be educator, author, keynote speaker, Dr. Amy Baldwin. And Dr. Baldwin has written, uh, was uh, right in the, the forefront of writing some groundbreaking works on, uh, on education. And uh, she is one of the most sought after and most well-respected uh, people in her field. She's going to be with us next week. And we're going to be discussing an expert's guide to college success. So join us for that. And thank you again for joining us tonight. And until next week, good night, everyone, and have an awesome week. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Mm-hmm.